to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. My name is Dr. Ann Swanson, and I am privileged to be a communicator here with Humanity. And uh, we're in a series called Love Thy. And I don't know about you, but man, it's been working me, huh? Learning to love, learning how much maybe I don't love or I don't stretch. Um, So interesting week. I had uh, a bee removal people come to my house, and some of you saw it on Facebook. I had 60,000 bees in my jacuzzi that I couldn't see. When she took the, the frame off, I was like, oh my God, it's a city in my jacuzzi. Um, I'm allergic to bees, so that was even a little scarier. But um, as I watched from the window, and she did this beautiful, delicate removal and took these bees to uh, the community garden at Rancho Cucamonga, so you can say hi to my bees up there. Um, I was thinking about community and how many bees live together and how they get along and how they operate together. And if the world or even churches could be like that, it'd be pretty amazing. So what does that have to do with today? We're going to be talking about loving the orphan and the widows. Um, And it's just been a very beautiful study for me, and I'm very excited to share it with you. Coincidentally, as what happens in my life sometimes, I got invited to a um, fundraiser on Thursday night for um, CASA, and we have a table out back with a representative from there, so you'll be hearing about that uh, program. It's amazing. But I was at this fundraiser, and I learned more of the statistics that I'd already been studying about um, how many orphans, how many foster children we have in the world. And let's bring it down here, because when people start throwing those numbers at me, my brain starts going, oh my God, I don't even know what 60,000 bees really mean, right? Or 200 kids. I mean, I can think, or 2,000 or 200,000 kids, but I'm going to share it with you just so we know, too, because it's, it's, it's a little overwhelming. But I, the wonderful thing about the synchronicity of being at this program was learning how, what I could do, and I got really excited and really excited about sharing it with you. What can I do to serve, to care, to love, to reach out? Because sometimes it seems so overwhelming, like, how do I face that, and what little thing can I do in the world? So we're going to talk about that. But in 2020, just entering the foster system in the whole United States, there was 214,000 children under 18. Wow, that's a lot. I, I mean, I can barely comprehend that. And then for the last two decades, there's uh, the rate of three out of 1,000 children. So that helps my brain a little bit more. Three out of 1,000 children born end up in foster care. And about 30% of them are under five. So that starts to work on my heart, at least I don't know about yours, but when I think about three children that end up in foster care, not all bad, sometimes foster parents are great and wonderful, and a lot of times kids get adopted out of foster care, and we we can talk more about that later. And the percentages are pretty high about kids that also get abused and moved from foster care to foster care to foster care. And as a therapist that works with family and children, the developing brain, when you don't have connection like that, is really, really hard. 
So let's bring it to our own backyard in San Bernardino because that's more where we live. Um, there were 570,000 total children and 175,000 under five uh, just in foster care this year that entered into foster care. So lots of things going on, yeah. And some of the outcomes, I promise I won't leave this all depressing for you today, but some of the outcomes, just so we can get real, and it's sometimes things I kind of want to deny, but 56% of foster youth graduate from high school, 84% want to go to college, but only 4% graduate from a university. So something particularly happens in those teenagers going into adulthood that can be pretty hard. 46.5% are incarcerated or imprisoned after they age out. If you don't know what that is, our system pays for foster care up till 18, but then they're on their own. And so there are programs that are starting to try and help with that gap. But for those of you that know, at least my kids needed a lot of support and help from 18 to 22. They're not adults yet, really. I mean, they still need support and help. 31% are homeless by age 24. And children in foster youth are diagnosed with PTSD at about twice the rate of US veterans. So pretty high statistics. All right, just to keep bumming you out a little bit more, <laughs> no, reality, we wanna live in reality. I'm also gonna include single parents in this talk because we're talking about orphans and widows and there's also, if any of you have ever been single parents or are single parents in here, I have been for a while, it's also challenging. It, does, it has some of the same challenges as both these groups. So single parents, um, my daughter came home when we were in elementary school one day and she said, Mom, do you know that not only fathers leave children, but sometimes mothers leave children? And I go, that's a funny thing for a sixth grader to say. And I go, yeah, honey, I, I know that. It's sad when different things happen in life. And she said, well, I always thought fathers left, but mothers never leave. And I go, well, I'm glad you think that of me. But <laughs> and three of her best friends had had mothers that had just had it and left the family for different reasons, some mental health issues, some other things. But this was astonishing for her to, to realize that both mo mothers and fathers can leave, divorces happen, and children end up often with two parents um, that do care, but they're in different homes, and, and sometimes a parent just bails on the whole idea of parenting. So we're gonna include that because what I hope our community steps up with in this next couple years is really thinking about what can we do practically, and we'll get to that in a minute, but specifically for or orphans, foster care, single parents, widows and widowers. Those are, that's my heart and what God's laying on me to share today. So those of you who are single parents know, and I have been for about three or four years, um, you're stretched thin. Um, lots of times there's financial difficulties, um, disagreements with custody and legal battles going back and forth and back and forth. Little time to take care of self and loneliness and isolation. And then we'll move to the group of widows and widowers. I'm engaged to Mr. Bernard in the back there. And um, we've talked a lot about what happens as you lose a spouse. Not everybody has experienced that, but people that are married will probably experience that in your life. So just to realize again, uh, interviewing some people in our community who have lost their spouses in the last couple years, we've had several people in our own community. And I talked with them and I talked with three or four other people outside of our community. And they were honored to let me share some of their story with you today. But just to look at it again, when you are with someone for a long time, 20, 30, 40 years, there's an identity that forms with another person. You become a we, 
And when that person leaves, there's a scramble to figure out who am I and what's going on. And there's a, a loneliness and a grief that can really um, be something to struggle with. Economic insecurity, uh, discrimination, um, stigmatization. Um, so there could be all kinds of things that happen. One of the most beautiful gifts from my friend Carlos here is when I was going through divorce is he let me sit next to him in church every day, every Sunday for like two years. <laughs> you know, I'm like, and that, I don't know for any of you, if you, but coming to church by yourself is really hard sometimes. And so to have people stretch and realize the loneliness, realize to reach out, um, those are some of the things we'll talk about in terms of practicalities. But for a minute, I know you may not feel like you're an orphan or you've been adopted or you may not be a widow or widower and you may have never um, been a single parent. So it might be hard to relate to some of this, but I just want you to take it a little bit bigger with empathy. For instance, I lost my dad when I was 25 years old, so I don't consider myself an orphan, but actually when that happened, um, he was my closest parent, and it really, really was challenging to deal with. And I've spent my whole life since that time getting married, having children without a father and a grandfather. So in one way, as I was preparing this, I thought, yeah, there's, there's an orphan heart in me about missing my father and not having him in my life for the last 40 years. So I want you to broaden the definition of widow, orphan, single parent, and just think about have you ever lost or been in a season in your life when you felt like you were an orphan, even if it wasn't technically so? Or have you ever been in a transition in your relationship or in challenging um, in your marriage where you felt lonely and isolated. Maybe you weren't a widow or you weren't divorced, but it felt like that. So I want you to just think about that. And for two minutes, I'm gonna give you just time to talk to your neighbor about, is there anything you can relate to in this definition of orphan, widow, single parent, loneliness, isolation, so that we can increase our empathy before we dive into the scriptures and what can we do about it. So go ahead and share with someone next to you. Be bold, risk. So these groups are so important to God that there are over a hundred scriptures about that, about this, about caring specifically for widows and orphans. We're going to just look at two or three today and we're not going to look at a hundred, but if you're interested over and over and over, scriptures talk about this. So it must have been important. Started from the Old Testament through the New Testament. So we're going to look at a scripture from a book of James uh, 127. And uh, sit up. it says, uh, religion that is, am I in the way? No, you can see? I'm short. I'm sure you can see. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. There's a really powerful pastor, uh, Erwin McManus, some of you know from the Mosaic Church. He says, if you did this scripture and nothing else in your whole life, this would be pure spirituality, pure connection with God. You wouldn't have to do anything else. This is really, really important. Jesus was a brother of, I mean, uh, sorry, James was the brother of Jesus, and he uh, was the leader of a church in Jerusalem during the first century. And his community became known for loving the orphans and the widows. They raised money, they gave food, they took care of them. They were known for that. This came out of the Jewish tradition um, that Jesus and James were brought up in that didn't see women and children as property. And that was really unusual in the Middle East. Usually they were sold and bought, and if they were left by the side of the road, they had to prostitute themselves to try and make money. But the Jewish culture had a care for women and children and orphans that they brought into the community and took care of them. 
Um, it was seen as what's called a blessing for you to give that to other people that need help. It was woven into um, the Jewish law as Jesus came and he started saying that to his community. This is important. What makes it important? Why is it? And that concept is because Jesus came into the world and said, I'm turning the world's values upside down. We call it an upside down kingdom. I kind of like that. Not the same as that show, The Stranger Things, but upside down kingdom in the sense that the values of our world are different than the kingdom of God. So heaven has a different set of values, love, acceptance, care, where our world has, let's get more money, Let's make more TV shows, let's be famous, and let's, you know, Twitter as much as we can to get for me. So this whole flip of the kingdom idea, as you'll see it throughout the scriptures, was also really apparent to the orphans and the widows and the people who needed care, that a community would come around and care and not ignore, not leave on the side of the road. Um, in some of the other Middle Eastern countries I've visited, if you have a handicap, you're actually seen as it's a sin that you've done something or your parents have done something and therefore you're cast off. Not so in the Judeo-Christian world. This was seen, and Jesus even speaks to this in scripture, says it's not for something you did, it was a happenstance. So we care for people that need care. Oh, there we go, okay. Um, the truth is we can never legislate love, right? So we can't put it into law, but as our hearts change and we understand this upside down kingdom and that if you choose to serve King Jesus, then the values and the things of your life, the things that you wanna give, the things that you wanna share are out of that heart. And there's promises in that too. As you give, it'll be given to you. We can't outgive God. So it's a very different economic kind of thought too. Now, not all of you are going to be ready to adopt a child, and we'll talk about that too. That's a beautiful way of helping care for some of these kids. Some of you have fostered and are thinking about fostering. Those are all beautiful ways. There's other ways too, if that's not where you're at in your own family, and we'll talk about those. But just that we open up our care and our love, as, G as James says, is this is pure religion in the upside-down kingdom. So we are taking that wealth and bringing the beauty to earth. So heaven to earth is the idea. Um, today we're going to talk about more practical ways of the love of loving orphans and widows. But I want to read you two scriptures from the Old Testament which are very strong about um, God's feelings about this. I don't think there's any stronger a language from Exodus 22, 22 through 24. It says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty strong. And then from Isaiah 1, 23, it says, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. So again, that picture of what the world's chasing and what the kingdom of God with the kingdom turned upside down values orphans and widows almost above anything else. So let's talk about being an orphan. Um, so orphans can be, not have any parents. Maybe parents died in a car crash. Um, maybe there's something that happened. Maybe there's drug addiction. Maybe people give children up for adoption because of their own limitations in their life. But basically the way God designed children is there's a dependency on someone bigger than them 
till at least 18, as I said. When my kids moved out, suddenly they were like, Mom, toilet paper is really expensive. And they would come back home and try and steal my toilet paper. I'm like, I'm clear toilet paper is really expensive. I've been paying for it, and more so nowadays, right? So there's this understanding, even as kids grow up, they, they don't take care of themselves generally, depending on who they are. This idea of orphans is throughout Scripture, too. And God even calls all of us orphans. So even if you've grown up with two-parent family and were in a home that you were taking care of, God still talks about us as orphans, which is an interesting idea. And he brings this idea of adoption in, especially to all of us that were not born into Jewish families. Because as Judaism came into the world and Jesus came in first century, he said, we adopt you in as Gentiles, so not of Jewish blood. So really, I know you all didn't know you were adopted, but you are adopted. So that's an invitation for you to join the family of God. The idea of adoption is a very beautiful one, that God chose us, that God wants us. We're not abandoned or left on the side of the road. Um, you are all important. And that scripture that talks about this is 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the ex excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this adoption, this lineage, I was just getting a sense of it again on Thursday night when I thought, wow, I've been given so much, we've been given so much to share with those who haven't been given or have been ripped away from their families or who don't have parents or families. And it's a privilege to be able to start to explore how can we live that out in a world so we are light in the darkness so that the family of God shows up and makes a difference in these horrifying numbers. And more important, each of these numbers represents a story. And as I sat Thursday night at that open house and heard stories, and we saw a play called Switch. If you ever get to see it, I would just recommend it. It was uh, about an hour and a half story of what foster children go through and the different experiences. Some positive, a lot really challenging. Around me, different people were bursting into tears while they were watching this. And my only assumption is that these were 20, 25, 30-year-olds who had been through the foster care system, and the, the play was touching them so deeply that it really resonated their life. And that just in me again was like, wow, what can we do to care for some of this and interrupt some of this and flip the kingdom upside down so that we, even as a community, show up in a different way? The second group, widows, um, this was fascinating. In the, in the lineage of Jesus, there's four women that are named, and they're Ruth, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba. And that would be a whole series in itself. And some of you have heard of some of them. But these women were really, really interesting. Some had affairs. Some were prostitutes. Some lied. Um, they were truly not the starry-eyed princesses of Disneyland. Um, and there's a whole story with each of them about how God worked with them. The one I'm going to talk to you about for a minute is Ruth the widow. All four of them had different times when they were widowed, but Ruth specifically from the book of Ruth was a woman who had lost her husband, and then in Jewish tradition, often the brother would marry the widow to help keep uh, things in the family and to protect family members. In this case, the brother had also died too. So Ruth was all by herself. She decided to um, protect her mother-in-law, Naomi, and live together and really work together to survive. 
One day, Ruth was in a wheat field, and she was foraging for the leftover wheat, which Jewish law said anybody that is um, a landowner should leave wheat for the widows and the orphans on the side so that they don't starve. So this man named Boaz had left the wheat there for Ruth, and she was gathering it to take care of her mother-in-law and herself. And he saw her, and his heart was moved by how... Um, probably beautiful she was, but also how faithful she was to her mother-in-law and how she had expressed care to stay with this older woman and take care of her. And he, long story short, it's a great book if you ever want to read it, but he ends up marrying her, taking care of Ruth and Naomi and bringing her into the family. There's a tradition that says Boaz is a, a, a replica of Jesus, a, a forerunner, a forerunner, um, a for So in the sense that God in Jesus cared for us and left us remnants and wanted to bring us into the family. And I think that story is just so beautiful about God's care for the widow and then the, the thoughtfulness about that. It wasn't about property. It was about care for the underserved. It was about protection of the widow. In fact, the weight of the, of the widow's um, was on her side in Jewish law. Rather than her being abandoned or left alone, she had the say of even who she would marry next, which again was not traditional. So I got to interview lots of widows this week, and um, there was an overarching theme that came through about loneliness. Now I know we all have experienced loneliness, so it's not like this is um, just that arena, but it was a particular kind of loneliness that really sensitized me to how to care for my friends who have gone through loss. Um, I want to read from a friend of mine's experience. Her name happens to be Anne, too, and she just lost her husband about six months ago. He was riding his bike after they had just retired. Um, she used to work for me at um, the medical school, and they'd been married 40 years, no, 48 years in June, best friends. When I look at them on Facebook, it's one of those couples I go, oh my God, that is an amazing marriage. Really deep love, really deep care. And Tom was riding his bicycle up in Rancho Cucamonga and got hit by a car. Gone. And Anne has been sharing her life with lots of good friends and also on Facebook. And, and I asked her if she would let me interview her about what worked and what didn't work from her community, what, what her process was like, and then how could people be sensitive and reach out and help, and then how did people not help? Because as many of you know that have been through grief, sometimes people say things that are, you're like, what are you thinking? So one of the things she said was, he, people keep telling me he's in a better place. She goes, I know that, but that really doesn't help, and it actually feels like it minimizes my grief. So here's some of the things she said that I just wanted you to hear, because she was so transparent. The person I used to be was part of a whole. I was a best friend to my amazing husband for 50 years. We would have been married 48 years in June. I was happy, and I looked forward to enjoying our retirement. I laughed easily. I loved deeply. I was a happy woman. I was Anne and Tom. I enjoyed our life together and loved planning our trips to the Central Coast to go wine tasting. I loved the fact that we were finally going to travel together. But now... I'm just Anne. I was part of Tom and he was part of me. I don't know just who I am any longer without my other half. I'm lonely a lot. I used to be whole and now I don't even feel like I'm half. Another person I interviewed said, I don't want my family to worry too much about me, but the hardest thing is loneliness. I'm working at finding purpose and meaning and a future worth living 
um, in this journey, but it's so hard to shift from two minds and hearts together to one. And then one of my other um, person I interviewed wrote this poem, and I wanted to share it with you because I thought it was so powerful. Just one more time. If I could see your face just one more time, maybe life wouldn't be so hard to live. If I could hear your voice just one more time, maybe my heart could beat again. If I could look in your blue eyes just one more time, maybe I could see the world in a better, clearer view. If I could hold your hand in mine just one more time, maybe I could sleep at night again. If you could hold me just one more time, maybe my dreams wouldn't be so sad. Maybe I wouldn't cry so much if I could hug you just one more time. Maybe I would live my life in love again. If I could talk to you now just one more time, maybe I'd feel better about myself if I could be with you just one more time. So, I don't know how you're feeling, but I feel both drawn to that and then also like, oh, it's so deep with pain and there's so much in it. It's hard to walk through grief with people. I do it for a living. Uh, I know it's hard. It's challenging. And yet, I think what I've heard is as we're equipped to be with people, to be present with people, that is what people are really longing for, not being avoided or going like you're too much or I don't know how to deal with you. So that's part of my heart is just also to train our community even more, where I think we're pretty good at it, to keep knowing how to be with people, how to walk through things, how not to avoid grief and pain with people, but to be with them. Because that's what the upside kingdom is like, and that's what Jesus calls us to. Understanding with our heart and caring for those who might be forgotten or denied the secret of God's heart, the miracle even to our own healing, is to learn how to be with others. We're all going to be in that place at one time in our life or another. And I want a family and a community who walks with me through it, and I walk through them with it, and that, that builds things together. The upside-down kingdom um, is a way to convey the kingdom of God challenging the social order. It's how we value people that maybe are put at the bottom or that people we want to walk away from, how we bring it to the top and say, this is most important. Um, there's a scripture I'd never, I don't know, I never read the scripture, so I thought, whoa, this is surprising. But it's in, in Acts 17, there's a story of two of the leaders in the early church that went out, Paul and Silas, and they were a missionary duo, and they went out to a, a town called Thessalonica, um, and they began to preach about the kingdom of God and asked people if they wanted to join the family. Many people accepted Jesus as their king during this time, but the locals were not persuaded and they were getting kind of angry and envious, the scriptures say. Uh, they began to search for Paul and Silas to beat them up and put them in jail. And this is what happened, maybe even to kill them. And so this is what happens from Acts 17. But the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, uh, set up all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and brought to, them, to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the king of the city crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here. So that's that phrase of turning the world upside down. So they could see the difference of these people were making an impact in their community and they were scared. They were envious. They didn't know what to do and they wanted to kill them. But they had impacted them so much with this, the preaching. 
God's kingdom is really not upside down. It's really the reality of what gives life, what gives meaning, what gives hope to people. Um, and the reign of Jesus taught us this light, um, us being bearers of light and children of light and reaching out to others is the way to celebrate that. So practically, when I was talking about this with the communication leaders, they go, okay, Ann, but now what? Like, I'm, we're sitting in the audience, what are we gonna do? We can't all adopt 50 children, right? But let's look at some things we could do, and there's some things we could also brainstorm. Um, this is a picture from a few years ago. Uh, some of you may know Hank Fortner. He, he's come to speak at our church uh, a few years back. He started the National Adoption Day about in 2014. He realized there was no National Adoption Day. So if you've ever seen the smiley hand um, that's on a lot of people's pages or Facebook pages or pictures, that's a sign of National Adoption Day. And you don't have to necessarily adopt, but it's you saying, I support that. I want to go with that movement. He started a whole ministry about helping people adopt. He started a crowdfunding resource to help people adopt because one of the things that's in the way for people a lot of adopting is finances. It can be expensive. It can be hard to get through the system. So I put that up there because that's one really easy thing you could do. It's November 15th. You could put a smiley face and do some hashtag and put it up on, on Instagram, on Facebook. And that's you saying, I want to support people that have the room in their life and their family to adopt. I want to support that. Um, that's one thing. The other thing, and if you can see, or you can take a picture of that outside too, um, there's some websites and some YouTube videos where Hank's talking about, um, his story is really amazing. His parents fostered 28 children during their lifetime and adopted, I think, five children from all different races and colors. And he tells the story of going into a grocery store with seven kids behind his mother and everyone's looking at them like, why is this in the United Nations? But he tells this rich story of what it's like to be living with people and seeing your family as an adoptive family that loves children. So that's one thing uh, we could do. The other one, it's a little hard to see, but we're, I have a table outside with Maggie. And can you raise your hand? Maggie's going to be in the back here. She was uh, the donor representative at the fundraising I went to on Thursday night. And um, her organization's called CASA. And it stands for Court Appointed... Yeah, can you read it? Okay, Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children. And at first I was like, well, I can't be one of those. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I talked with them, and the amazing thing is they train you to um, be an advocate for a child. It takes only about 10 to 15 hours a month, which may sound like a lot for you, but think about a couple hours a week. And I was going like, wow, what if we had 10 families that did this in our church? Or if a small group decided to do that together? The impact on that was amazing when I heard the stories from some of the people who had CASA volunteers. You're a person that stands with the foster family to help with the court systems or anything they need, but basically you get to befriend a child too over their lifetime, well, at least 18 months. Some of the stories I heard where one woman had a CASA volunteer for 40 years that became someone that was like her adopted aunt. And so there's really incredible stories. And each of these children talked about the difference that person made, that just the fact that someone believed in them, just the fact that somebody would call them once a week or once every other week, help them decide to go to college, help them um, get a focus and believe in themselves, help them feel like they weren't overwhelmed with the world. And I, I would say, well, aren't social workers for that? Our social work, our system has 50, 
35 to 50 kids for each social worker that they're supposed to manage. That's not time to do anything that's personal or connective. It's all about just the paperwork and getting things done. So this program was started, and, and Maggie can tell you more about it, by a judge who was so frustrated about our system and how kids were falling through the cracks. And it's been around for a while, been really, really successful. Uh, and very, I would say, a blessing to both sides, the people that um, offer to be a CASA representative and those that uh, are the children receiving it. So that's one thing. There, if you feel like you don't have that much time in your life right now with your schedule, there's also ways of being um, a, a volunteer in smaller ways for them, going to their fundraising, supporting them, spreading the word about the amazing things they do. There are many opportunities like that. That's just one that God brought across my path this this last week, and, and I've known about this organization for a while, and I caught a real vision that I for sure want to do it, and I want to support our, our congregation in doing some things like that. The other thing, just from interviewing the people who have lost their spouses the last few um, months to years, they were really helpful for me in saying what people have done and what's been really helpful. And that's been calls, that's been texts, that's been not being afraid to talk about the deceased person, to mention their name, to say, have you been having any dreams about your spouse lately? Have you, what's been the hardest things that you've done? Um, one person shared with me, I have one friend that texts me every single day. And she just said, how are you doing? I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. And she said, that was so helpful. She also said that people just coming and letting me cry by them and not trying to fix that, not trying to say a lot of words, but just being present and not avoiding me and not acting like I have the plague or that because they're around me, someone in their family might die. She goes, I know that sounds crazy, but it, it actually feels like that to me. So there are many practical things that we can do by continuing to reach in love with people. And I would love to be intentional with that in our community and maybe um, develop a specific ministry that people are interested can do that with me. Of course, my computer went out when I talked too much. Sorry, just a minute. All right. Oh, yeah, so one of the things Maggie will tell you about is there's 400 children waiting for a CASA volunteer on their list. Um, they're wanting that support, and they don't have enough CASA volunteers. So that was really empowering for me. So this can sound heavy. It can feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much pain and difficulty in the world. And I would invite you to see it from the upside-down kingdom, that God has given us the power, the love, the immense adoption of ourselves to, to catalyze things in our own lives and to reach out. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to turn loneliness into love, hostility into friendliness, greed into generosity, um, to love our neighbor as ourself, along with loving our enemy, loving the ones that could be marginalized, and now to value and embrace the orphan and the widow. What are you going to do with that call? I know that I'm opening up and really looking at my life and possibilities to activate that kind of love in the world and be a part of someone's life. We'll all be there someday, and we're called to be family to each other. If you haven't accepted that you are a family of God and you'd like that, just from hearing this, that the heart of God loves orphans, loves widows, loves single parents, and that's something you're longing for, I just invite you now to say in your heart, I want to be part of that, and I want Jesus in my heart, and I want to be part of this community. So I just ask this prayer that... Lord, you would just liven hearts, that you would touch anyone that's open for that kind of commitment and wants to take another step. 
and talk to someone at Next Step about entering that community and being part of being loved in that family adoptive kind of way. If you feel prompted in your heart or soul to make any kind of commitment or even just explore today, Maggie will be outside and you can ask more questions, no commitment, but there's training involved and um, a lot of interesting stories and things she could tell you. And I just want to move there. Invite us just to pray that our hearts will open up and that we can be open to the message of God. So Lord, thank you for this powerful and deep message that your heart is mostly about those that people might not notice or might not know how to care for or might be marginalized as people who have lost husbands, wives, spouses, or parents, people that are single parents struggling to do the best they can as they're alone in the world of parenting. We just thank you that this is the kind of heart our Father God has. This is the kind of um, care you have for people, and you're asking us to be part of that, to be part of your heart, to be part of your ministry. And we are excited about opportunities, the things you'll bring before us, the relationships you'll develop. And we know that as we give, you promise also that we can outgive you, God. So we thank you for that. Bless this message. I ask that we could see really tangible results from it, and people would uh, reach and, and be ministered to and give of what they have from you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.